Hello, you're listening to Meet the Locals, an insider's guide to British Airways destinations, where locals give you the lowdown on what to do, what to see and where to go in their city. My name's Heidi Fullerlove, and today we're going to meet the locals in the breathtaking British Airways destination of Prague in the Czech Republic. But before we meet the locals, here are some fast facts. Fast fact number one, British Airways flies to Prague's Václav Havel Airport from London Heathrow in two hours. Frequent flights and competitive prices, including hand luggage only options, makes this an ideal destination for a weekend break as well as for longer stays. Fast fact number two, Prague Airport is just a half an hour ride from the city centre. One of the easiest methods to get into town is to book a transfer with Prague Airport Transfers via their website. You should also buy a Prague City Pass. You can find out more on the British Airways website. This pass gives you a free boat ride along the Voltava River and free or discounted entry to many main sites. And finally, fast fact number three, Prague is also an easy drive from some of the Czech Republic's child-friendly ski slopes, making it an ideal all-year-round destination. So now it's time to meet some of the locals here in Prague. But one thing I quickly realise is that insiders in the city of a thousand spires is a very loose term, as there are so many people who have adopted this bohemian capital and made it their own. One of these is Bonita Rhodes from Inside Cities. I hope that in the next few hours I get to tell you something about why I love living in a city that has so much character and history and it's, of course, awesome beauty. And one of the reasons that I wanted to meet you today on Old Town Square is that you could say that this land of Bohemia really gets its start here. Um, We're in a very ancient place. This square has been seeing trade go on on it from the 9th century, from the 800s. We're in a 1,200-year-old place of meeting in Europe. There's a lot going on here. You mentioned the four decades under totalitarianism, and you could say that also begins right on this square. If you look at the Kinsky Palat, uh, where we met, one of the many things it's famous for is that right on this balcony, the first communist president, Clement Gottwald, in 1948, in February, in what's known as the Elegant Coup, came out and announced the fact that this had just become a, a communist um, satellite state. Benita tells me about the massive clock at the end of the square. It's the only remaining uh, medieval astronomical clocks in the entire world. Um, and it's the only functioning one. It's, it's still accurate. Um, it's been functioning almost uh, since it was created in 1410 until now, except when um, in World War II at the end of the war it was bombed um, during what's known as the Prague, Prague um, Uprising and sustained a great deal of damage and for a while was not uh, working. Let me bring us closer because in a few minutes the clock will actually do its hourly show. But the oldest Gothic structure, the oldest building that remains on the square is the House of the Old Stone Bell. As we walk to our next destination through Prague's cobbled streets, admiring the views of Hadkani Castle perched on a hill high above us, I asked Benita if there's anything that visitors to Prague should avoid doing. 
I sometimes think that the natives here, the Proggers, one of the things they least like to hear is the notion that you're visiting Eastern Europe. You are smack in the heart of Europe here. Um, the notion that you're in Eastern Europe really comes from the Cold War um, because Prague and the Czechoslovak Republic spent those four decades behind uh, the Iron Curtain as part of the Soviet socialist bloc. Bonita leads me through Zulata Ulica, which translates as Golden Lane. This is where a row of 16th century cottages have been transformed into charming shops. We stroll through the Josephoff, or Jewish quarter, with its old Jewish cemetery, which is the largest in Europe, and whose graves date back to the 16th century. Um, I sometimes think that one thing that visitors here have quite right is they usually think when they think Prague, architecture, architecture, and more architecture. (laughs) Prague is an encyclopedia, an encyclopedia of European architecture from the Romanesque, which we still have here, even from uh, the 800s we have rotundas, um, to the... uh, Gothic to the Baroque to the glorious avant-garde of the turn of the century, the Art Nouveau and the Cubist architecture. We stop to admire the interior of Café Grand Orient, the world's only example of a Cubist interior. You feel like you're entering the jazz era, really, I think. Um, I love looking at these Cubist coat hooks here. Isn't that funny? (laughs) You know, they look like staircases on the side. They look like staircases. (laughs) It's a total, a theory of total design, you know, that absolutely everything that's a part of the space um, has to kind of fit with this Cubist program. Leaving the wonderfully atmospheric cafe behind us, we set out into Prague's old town to admire more of the city's wonderful architecture. We skip from one side of the street to the other, avoiding the trams that wheeze and rattle their way past, and drinking in the delicious sugary smells. Finally, we pause to admire a monument that looks like a copy of the city's famous Charles Bridge. Powder Tower, Prasna Brana, which is the last remaining gate of the city's medieval fortifications, is such a powerful-looking site. It's enormous. And um, if it looks to you a lot like the Old Town Bridge Tower of the Charles Bridge, there's a reason for that. They loved that one so much when that was built in the mid-1300s that they modeled this one on it a hundred years later. It's actually called Powder Tower because it really did have gunpowder in it. It was part of the city's medieval defenses, so um, that was not unusual that um, a gate... And it's a really important gate. It was through this gate that the Bohemian kings and the occasional Austrian emperor who cared enough to get himself crowned king of Bohemia would knock in order to begin the coronation. So we're actually standing at the beginning of the coronation route. From here we stroll to the Jan Palak Square in front of the Rue Dolphinum. We stop beside the statue of Dvorak, the world-renowned Czech composer, who also has a museum in Prague dedicated to his memory. And I wanted to take a look at the statue of the great Czech composer from the 19th century, Antonin Dvorak, because um, I think many people don't realize that the Czechs are among the few people in this world that have sent great pieces of music into outer space. Dvorak's great symphony for the new world um, was actually a part of the Apollo 11 moon landing in 1969. It's fun to do what we're doing in some ways, which is to walk through this windy, unplanned old town 
and then emerge into the new town with the crowning feature of which is Wenceslas, now Wenceslas Square, and, and see, feel the difference. It's almost like the air changes from this more narrow, more unplanned, chaotic old town, and then you move into a space like the new town that had two kilometer long arterial roads where every single square was planned in advance. Finally, Bonita leads me to the last stop on our tour. Actually, the square has only been named after Wenceslas um, since um, the 1840s. Good King Wenceslas went down, la, 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 la. Yeah, anyway, that's him. That's the guy. When you look at this wonderful square laid out by the architects of Charles IV in um, 1348, you're really looking at a space that a lot of things have happened on. I mean, probably most famously, uh, the Velvet Revolution, 1989, this square saw hundreds of thousands of Czechs peacefully bring down totalitarianism. The whole focus is on Czechoslovakia. Now hundreds of thousands of Czechoslovaks are in the street. They packed into Wenceslas Square. In 1968, during the Prague Spring, that moment when it looked like there was going to be a relaxation of totalitarianism. Unfortunately, the Warsaw Pact country sent in tanks to put down the Czechs after six months of the Prague, what's known as the Prague Spring. This is where the Warsaw Pact tanks converged. It is at the top of this square, very tragically, where um, Jan Palatz, the young Czech, after the Warsaw Pact tanks came into this country, immolated himself in protest to the return to absolutism here. People don't realize that um, the Czech name for Wenceslas is Václav. So Václav Havel, the great dissident and the first post-Velvet Revolution president, Václav Havel, had such a terrific name (laughs) to be a great leader because he was a Wenceslas as well. Anyway, uh, for hundreds of years, it was known um, as Horse Market, Konsky Turk, because, like I said, most medieval squares were arranged by trade. And this was really your car dealership um, in the medieval period. Um, this is where you came to trade in horse flesh. Right now, you can get mulled cider um, at these autumn markets and other specialties like a good hearty sausage. <laughs> it's been a wonderful tour, and I certainly know Prague a lot better. And before leaving Bonita, I ask her if she has any useful insider's tips for visitors to the city. If you're spending a few days here, and obviously you have a pretty limited time to gain any Czech, but want some quick polish for your interactions here, the Czechs do kind of have um, an all-purpose word of courtesy, like the Hawaiians. They have their own aloha. And um, and that would be, if you want to master one word, I would go for prosim. Prosim. Um, it functions in all kinds of beautiful ways. Prosim can mean, usually means, which is please. So even if all you do is master prosim in order to stick it on the front of a prosim, do you speak English? Um, that's so unexpected from a traveler that it might really be worth it for you because it's going to gain you instant respect from the natives. But prosim does a lot more than please. Um, prosim means thank you. And prosim also means excuse me. Um, you can add a dobri den, which is a uh, hello, a good day. And goodbye might not be so hard to master. It would be difficult if you went for the full nashledano, which you kind of have to sing in this, this nice Czech diphthong. But um, if you want to just do an ahoy, that would serve the purpose too of um, hello and goodbye. Say that again. Ahoy. 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 Practicing my ahoy 
I head across town to meet Jan Schura, owner of Pivorsky Doom and president of the Czech Association of Microbreweries. Jan tells me that Wenceslas is important for yet another reason. Wenceslas is a patron of Czech beer, patron of Czech country and patron of Czech beer. And today is starting day of Czech beers in the all Czech bars, restaurants uh, around the old Czech Republic. And the next five days we will celebrate uh, St. Wenceslaus and for it we are preparing some special beers, some special action and this one this one. Prague, uh, Prague is a very nice beer city. 100 years ago was in Czech countries uh, more than 1,000 breweries. Uh, every small village, every small city has a brewery. And now we slowly slowly go to back <laughs> because now it's in Czech Republic is 400 breweries. 25, 26 years ago, after the Velvet Revolution, it was in Czech countries only one microbrewery. We are starting uh, 1991, two years after the revolution, <laughs> Velvet Revolution. Yeah, it was a good time, but nobody knows uh, how to do <laughs> in this time. Yeah. So, because in Czech Republic is a very traditional, uh, very popular uh, industry. Yeah, because uh, this is not only industry, it's a craft, art of beer <laughs> in Czech Republic. Well, uh, we've just been served a tasting menu of wonderful looking beers, so yeah. I think I can agree that it looks like art. There's green it's beer. Tell, tell me what these are then. There's eight kind of beers uh, from our restaurant. There's a light lager, dark lager, Czech style, of course. Uh, with beer, Bavarian Weizen style. Yeah, and after that some crazy beers uh, for enjoy. Like green metal beer, uh, like sour sherry beer, coffee beer, and banana beer. That's nice, actually. Yeah, you, yeah. you want to kind of mix them all. Yeah, and this one is a very popular one. What's that? Uh, sour oh, that's subtle. That's very subtle, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you get the taste afterwards of the cherry. You don't get it straight away. Stilvarsky Dom means a brewer's house. Because this house is a really brewer's house. And the first floor are brewery and restaurant. Behind the glass wall is a fermenting room. You can see the fermentation. And in downstairs, in the cellar, is a maturation room. And... All beers which we are producing here, all these we are selling here. Not on the other place, only here. We have a traditional Czech menu, mainly mainly for Czech people and for Czech style uh, food. But for beer is the best. Uh, we are using beer with preparing of this food. For example, goulash with dark beer. And for example, pork meat, typical Czech pork meat dumplings. There is a light beer, a little bit. And we have a special menu. We have a Beer soup, beer main food, and beer dessert. Pancakes with beer marmalade. I mean, the Czech lager is the best beer on the world. The Czech style, best beer on the world. And has a high drinkability. Yeah, you can drink Czech lager five, six beers without problems. Of course, I take his word for it, but I'm still pretty glad that I'm not driving to my next destination. Well, the Czech Republic is famed for its production of fine art glass and crystal, so I'm off to meet my next local. Jitka Svobodova is going to take me on a tour of the famous Moser Glassworks, established by Ludwig Moser in 1857. 
I am from the city of Karlovy Vary, which is a very famous spa town, the most famous spa town in the Czech Republic. And Karlovy Vary is the seat of the Mose Glassworks. It's a factory, it's a glassworks, and it's about two hours by car, 120 kilometers. So there are hot springs, and from this town, from Karlovy Vary town, there's also a famous Herbst liqueur called Becherovka, which is one of the famous alcohol drinks uh, from made in Czech Republic, besides the beer. Mose Glassworks uh, was founded in the year 1857. And uh, why is Moser so famous? So I think, firstly, it's uh, that everything is handmade. It's really handmade pieces of art, no machines, which you can find there. And very important thing is that Moser, until present time, it's a Czech company. Our standard assortment today, our current assortment, consists of uh, two uh, important types. One is the classical designs, which were made uh, at the end of the 19th century, at the beginning of the 20th century, and it's still very popular and very requested, and uh, the designs are timeless. And the second part is, of course, modern, modern design. Uh, so we try to develop new and new pieces, new and new uh, ways of uh, glass making. Moser is famous because of colors, and we try to develop uh, new colors, new combinations of colors. We try to play with colors. So as you can see here, these are the combinations of colors called uh, underlay and overlay colors. And we add special uh, metal oxides mm -hmm. into the raw materials so we get the colors. So everything starts in the glassworks by our glass makers. It continues to glass engravers. There can be also painters uh, who decorate it with 24 karat golds or platinum. So there is strict quality control. Some dust, small bubble, or something which you can see with your eye, but our specialists really see it, then they really throw it away. I ask Yitka what Moser is most famous for. Most famous collection ever made by Moser is called Splendid. So the design is from the year 1911, and it has a very special gilded trim on the bottom, which is called Oroplastics. Oro means gold. Plastics is this 3D effect. And we decorate it with 24 karat gold. And uh, you need 36 pairs of hands in the glassworks to finish one glass. Because there is so much work with blowing of the glass, with cutting, with uh, engraving, with painting with the gold and with polishing of this gold. So there are so many steps, and to finish one piece is a really long way. And this Splendid collection, it's a collection called Splendid, is owned by the British Queen Elizabeth II, who received it as a wedding gift in the year 1947 to her, to her wedding by the Czechoslovak, Czechoslovak state. Leaving all those marvellous glass creations tinkling behind me, I take the funicular railway to the Petrin Lookout Tower. It looks like a smaller version of the Eiffel Tower, and that's for a reason. In 1889, members of the Club of Czech Tourists visited the World Exposition in Paris, and they were so excited by the Eiffel Tower, what did they do? 
they came home and they raised the money to have a replica built right here in Prague. Well, it's wonderful to get up close to the tower, but it's even better to climb to the top of the tower because the views are breathtaking. This is definitely one of the best places in Prague to take those panoramic shots. Back in the old town, I crossed the city's iconic 14th century Charles Bridge, spanning the Vultavar River. In summer, the banks of the river are covered with sand and lined with deck chairs to create an urban beach. The bridge is like a lively market with buskers and local craftspeople selling jewellery and artwork and couples taking selfies next to the historic statues on either side. On the other side of the bridge, it's a short walk to my hotel, the Augustine. Nestled beneath the walls of Prague Castle, it's one of the city's most historic hotels and one of the most luxurious. Entering the hotel is like entering a labyrinth with corridors lined with ancient statues, 19th century frescoes and modern artwork. The buildings once belonged to the 13th century St Thomas Church and Monastery and guests have the unique chance of meeting the working community of Augustinian friars who still live in the grounds. On the following morning, after a copious breakfast in the Augustine's light-filled breakfast room, it's time to discover more about the city's past. And this is the second oldest house here in Prague. Actually, it was built at the end of the 9th century, so it is indeed a very old house, and of course a lot of things happened here behind these walls. The most important one was the demolition of the Jewish quarter. This house used to be a part of this Jewish quarter for many centuries. And all the houses here were supposed to be demolished because of the bad hygiene. And all of them were, but this one wasn't, and we actually don't know why. So it's like a little mystery still to be solved. And speaking about the mysteries, 15 years ago, in 2002, there was found an intersection with three secret escape underground tunnels under this house. The first one led to Prague Castle, the second one led to the Old Town Square, and the third one led to the Republica Square. And this was also the reason why Rudolf II decided to set up the alchemical laboratory here at the end of the 16th century. Uh, here in this picture, you can actually see the famous emperor Rudolf II. And he was very interested in alchemy, art, occult science, and um, architecture. Uh, because Rudolf II, he was mentally ill. He suffered from depressions and schizophrenia, um, and he died of syphilis. So he was very, very ill person. It is said that he was sitting um, in his study in pain for hours. So that's the reason why they made the elixir of eternal youth. Um, and it did work. Rudolf II died at the age of 60. Oh, well, after the death of Rudolf II in 1612, the alchemists, they started to leave this place. So the entrance to the laboratory was actually sealed up. Um, and no one had no idea uh, until 2002. Um, it was a massive flood here in Prague, uh, two, uh, two weeks of heavy rains, so the pressure on the street was too high, so the street collapsed, and the secret tunnel, which originally led to the Old Town Square, was discovered. So they searched it, they went through, and they ended under this house. 
another very famous person who was working here in Prague was Rabbi Lev. And Rabbi Lev uh, was, uh, like I said, very famous Jewish scholar. And he was a very special person. He was one of the people who created the Elixir of Eternal Youth. As well, he was one, uh, he was the one who created Golem, the very famous Prague legend. Golem was created out of the clay, mud, and dirt from the banks of the Vltava River and then brought to life through magic and rituals to protect the Jewish community here in town. But it also says more, because alchemy wasn't just about the physical change or transformation. It was also about the spiritual one, uh, about the self-knowledge and self-realization and about the inner change. They believed that if they could ever make the journey into their selves, they would also know how to uh, turn basic metals into gold. In front of you is the first laboratory, and the furnace is also the original one. Uh, so that means that the elixirs, uh, like we're talking about, are made here. And you can actually see the bottle here. So this is the original bottle from the 16th century. Inside it, there's still a little tiny bit of the elixir. It's jelly now, mm -hmm. but it's the elixir of eternal youth, because it was, of course, tested and analyzed. Mm -hmm. And, mm, for example, um, it's like herbal extract. Yeah, alcohol and herbs, but a lot of them. Uh, according to these recipes, the elixirs are made for us again by the Benedictine monks in the Benedictine monastery near Brno. Leaving the alchemist behind me, I head out to try a different sort of alchemy, the kind that's operated by chefs. At Prague's Michelin-starred restaurant La Dégustation Bohème, I meet manager Katerina, who tells me a little more about the restaurant. Well, we've been open more than uh, 10 years. We are degustation restaurant. Uh, the food is uh, based on... We are saying end of 19th century. That was the time when the Czech gastronomy was on the very top. After that, unfortunately, the communism ruined it. And that time also, because we have old cookbook from that uh, end of 19th century, and that's our inspiration to cook all the sauces, soups. I asked Katerina why they chose to serve Czech cuisine. So that, that would be a question of our, for our chef, uh, Oldrich Sahajdak. Uh, fortunately, I know the answer. He always says, I'm Czech. I cannot make great pasta or great French cuisine. This is what I ate as when I was a kid, and that's what I know the best. So I, that I do what I know the best. After eating a succession of subtle and tasty dishes ranging from tender beef tartare to seared foie gras served with a sumptuously sweet Montbaziac wine gelée, I stagger onto one of the city's clean and rapid trams and head out to meet my Lex local. Katerina Setunska from the Czech Tourist Bureau starts by telling me about the Velvet Revolution and the effect that it had on local tourism. And uh, the Velvet Revolution is, of course, a huge thing for us and for tourism as well. Uh, because after the Velvet Revolution, a couple of years later, uh, of course, everybody wanted to see us, to see our country, which was uh, open and which was very interesting for everybody. And so we had like a very, very high numbers of the tourists coming here. 
because you don't know you are locked in you are in a locked country for a lot of years and now you have tourists coming from the USA from the Great Britain and from all over the world and you have to provide the quality uh, they are used to from abroad so it's a crazy thing to live through because on a personal level because for everyone seeing all these strange people coming in and you said your parents did your parents talk to you about that time I think we talk about it quite a lot because all the era before the Velvet Revolution they it formed their lives yeah I think it affected their personal family life and what do they tell you about that time it was very hard very difficult for them to live in that era I should like appreciate what I have now that's what all parents do <laughs> yeah. but I think it's true it's uh, I think it's important for, for young people or, or my generation to know what, what was going on and not to let this happen again Katerina tells me about some of the day trips that are available from Prague but I can't help asking her why anyone would want to leave this lovely city uh, I would say it's a completely different atmosphere than in Prague in Prague you can meet it's like a cosmopolitan city and you can meet uh, all the cultures here but if you go outside of the regions uh, it's more calm it's more relaxing it's a beautiful nature it's nice people in the regions we have a lot of cultural uh, attractions uh, we have beautiful uh, towns we have also a very nice conditions for sports for uh, golf it's very nice when you want to like connect all these uh, aspects you can go for example for, for a golf course to Konopiště which is a very nice castle 40 minutes from Prague you can visit West Bohemian Triangle which is like 2-3 hours drive from Prague uh, you can also take a train we have about uh, 33 spas the famous one is, is, is Karlové Vary and next, next to it is Mariánské Lázně uh, they have also mineral water they have also mud and uh, you can, for example, for example, visit Zelená Hora near near nad Cázavou. Uh, it's the direction to Moravia, and it's like uh, one one hour and a half drive from Prague, and you will find a beautiful UNESCO site, which is baroque site. It's a town, and uh, ne- next to the town is beautiful beautiful castle. Castles and chateaus have uh, like a special programs for children. One of them is, for example, Chateau Loucheng, mm. which is uh, located very, very close to Prague. It, they have like four or five labyrinths. Important activity or a favorite activity for Czech, for Czech people to go on a boat. And one of the rivers very popular is Vltava, and you can do it in the south of Bohemia. You can take a canoe and uh, go go from Rosenberg, which is uh, like in the very, very south of Bohemia. People usually have like all their belongings uh, with them in the canoe and they have tents and there's a lot of camps. During the summer, we have a lot of summer festivals. For example, Colors of Ostrava is one of the biggest music festivals. And talking of music, another reason to visit Prague is the jazz. Later that evening, I go to meet Jakub Ledred, who runs one of the city's iconic jazz haunts, the Jazz Doc Jazz and Blues Bar. My father is uh, the owner of the club. In our family, it was quite normal to listen to jazz music from my childhood. The idea of the club is uh, to be widely open for public, uh, to be open for uh, students of the jazz, uh, for people uh, who 
who don't have a lot of money to, to pay uh, some high entrance and so on. We have uh, two concerts uh, per day and it's open till four o'clock a.m. <laughs> every day. <laughs> if you want to catch a concert at Jazz Dock, you'll just have to come here to Prague. My name's Heidi Fuller-Love. You've been listening to Meet the Locals and you'll find contact information for all the sites mentioned in the Meet the Locals fact sheet on British Airways' website. Remember to look out for Meet the Locals' guides to other destinations on your next British Airways flight.